Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. All right, welcome to the What If Football podcast here exclusively on the Sports Social Podcast Network. We're covering another of the Champions League's grandest seasons here in Le Grandes Equipes from the 2005-06 season. Liverpool were the holders, but it was another English team who took home all the plaudits. Let's get stuck straight in. Yes, as I mentioned, it was Liverpool who were the holders, the champions, champions of Europe. They had to go through all of the qualifiers because UEFA, in their grandest wisdom, hadn't had their wits about them and had temporarily put a stop to teams who hadn't qualified through virtue of the league qualifying for the tournament, even if they were champions of Europe, which... It's quite unfair considering that the act of winning the Champions League is much better or much harder than becoming fourth in your league time and time again, as we will, of course, see in this tournament, of course. So with Liverpool's fifth position, they had to qualify from the first qualifying round. These were the days of qualifying round number one, two and three. And if you win in the third qualifying round, you're through. And that's exactly what Liverpool did essentially having an extended pre-season with five potential English teams in the uh, in the draw. UEFA again with their infinite wisdom, they could be drawn against English teams despite five same nation teams being 
kept apart quite easily in the Champions League these days, should it happen. And it has happened, of course, with uh, the Bundesliga and Eintracht Frankfurt through their winning of the Europa League, of course. UEFA, though, didn't have to worry about that because Everton got knocked out against Villarreal, of course, much to the delight, presumably, of Liverpool fans up and down the country. So, with the rules still in place for some reason, um, Liverpool had a chance to be drawn against an English team. And which English team do you think you'd associate Liverpool with the most in the Champions League? Yes, of course, it was Chelsea. The team that they had eliminated in the 2005 semi-final and the team that they would be paired up against in seemingly perpetuity around this time, Rafael Benitez and Jose Mourinho. They were at loggerheads again and... In April and May the previous season, they had conspired to just one goal over the two games and went one better in the group stages here, conspiring to draw two more goalless games. And if that's not the biggest advertisement for how defensive football was back in this day, then uh, I don't know really what is. They only conceded two goals between them, Liverpool in a in a 2-1 win over Betis, uh, Chelsea in a 1-0 loss over Betis as well. Both, however, both Liverpool and Chelsea will be put out at the last 16 phase, however. Chelsea were drawn Barcelona as they finished second in the group and it was only a late turnaround by Barca in a 2-1 win which killed the London club and uh, not the last time we'll, we'll say that in today's episode. Liverpool, however, they were stunned by quite the shock. Barcelona may have been one of the front runners, to be fair, but Benfica, on the other hand, despite being two-time former champions, more so than Barcelona at this stage, who only had just the one Champions League to their name, Benfica were massive underdogs against Liverpool. Liverpool being stunned by a Luis Ao goal late on in Lisbon and couldn't find an away goal themselves. And in conceding early, Liverpool had to find three goals and the uh, the old trick, the old Jose Mourinho trick worked for his former club, at least then uh, in Benfica, as they were 3-0 winners and the conquerors of the champions couldn't unfortunately produce the same story in the quarterfinal. The curse by Bella Gutman was still pretty much alive and well here. And uh, they would keep a clean sheet in the first leg against Barcelona. So even in absence, really... Chelsea and Liverpool were destined to play in the quarter-final if they both could win their Champions League last 16 tie, which uh, which goes to show how intrinsically linked that they were. Even in the fact that they were both defeated in the last 16, they would have played one another in the quarter-final anyway. Regardless, it was Barcelona who went through. Ronaldinho scoring early. Barcelona couldn't break through, but neither could Benfica as well. And that is... Another one of these Mourinho plans, which worked an absolute treat around this day. All, of course, thanks to the away goals record and winning away from home was um, the plan for quite a lot of defensive teams around this era. Benfica were out and their group teammates, or group mates rather, Manchester United, they hadn't even got to the spring. They hadn't even got past Christmas in terms of the Champions League, which was by 2005 pretty much unthinkable. Uh, It was a truly dismal group showing for the Red Devils in which they scored in just two group games, both against Benfica. But 
They still had a chance to qualify on the final day, but despite going 1-0 ahead in the Stadio de Luge, they would lose to Benfica, and that signalled the end of their time. And after so many near scrapes and winning the trophy in 1999, Manchester United not being in the knockout stage, for me personally as a United fan from 1998 onwards, was quite the shock when you get round to last 16 weekend, or week rather, and they're not in there, and you have to make do with watching Liverpool get eliminated, and that's the only way you you get your joy, kind of like these days, really, unfortunately. And Bayern Munich, they lost a group battle with Juventus, and because of a 1-1 draw in Bruges, and therefore they finished second, and unfortunately... We're out in the last 16 to what was ultimately a better AC Milan side. 5-2 on aggregate like Manchester United the year prior. And their last 16 exit to Milan, it's fairly understandable. This time though, Milan wouldn't get to the uh, the final, but more on that one later on after the break. Werder Bremen and PSV Eindhoven flattered to deceive after recent good years. Obviously with Bremen's double in 2004 and PSV reaching the semi-finals in the Champions League last season. Werder Bremen had added Torsten Frings and Miroslav Klose since that double-winning year, but again, understandably lost to Juventus. Same last 16 exit as the prior year, and they'd still not matched, still haven't matched, 1989's quarter-final in the old European Cup. PSV, they didn't get to repeat their semi-final either, but despite essentially beating AC Milan 1-0 over two legs in the groups, they would... Uh, Miss out on top spot thanks to two shambolic 3-0 defeats in the group stages to the likes of Schalke and Fenerbahce. More on them in the coming weeks on the uh, Le Grandes Equipes podcast. They instead bombed out to Lyon, who were by this point considered dark horses and uh, were still dominating France, still dominating in France. But and, uh, we didn't get a classic Rosenborg performance as uh, Lyon had by this point tried to apply to become one of the elites and they qualified alongside Real Madrid, but they weren't just there just yet. Before we take a look at the contenders as opposed to the pretenders, which we have done, we'll take you through some of the nostalgic best goals of the tournament. So we have Samuel Eto'o's curler against Panathinaikos, which was Dimitri Payet-esque, but it was uh, from um, from open play, so it's even better. A personal favourite of mine, even though he was an Arsenal player, Thierry Henry's outside of the boot shot against Sparta Prague, which helped uh, Arsenal go through. And I think it was, I think that was the record-breaking goal in terms of his Arsenal career. But what a sumptuous goal it was, sort of on the right half space, just outside the box and outside of the boot, curler into the uh, far corner was. Fantastic, really. And uh, Manuel Fernandez scored a smashing volley against Villarreal and some way to concede your only goal of the group stage for the uh, the yellow submarine there. You've got Giovanni's diving header against Manchester United. There's tons of free kicks, mainly from Janinho. And, um, and Andrea Perlo scored a great free kick for Milan against Schalke as well. But the absolute best, even better than Janinho himself, was Hugo Almeida's for Porto against Inter Milan. Absolute thunder bastard as it was. Um, Rivaldo, of course, also smashed one in against Rosenborg. You've got a, a little sneaky back heel from John Carew at the Bernabeu. Florence Cinema Pongol for Liverpool. Quite good in this tournament, I seem to remember. Uh, he's got a beautiful little chip at Betis. And... Uh, a little bit different to his goal from the last 16 of the previous year, but Ronaldinho scored um, another 
incredible goal against Chelsea. This time, no toe poke and no somehow getting in through a team of bodies into the bottom corner. This time, it was more a slalom and then a smash into the corner, which uh, was great in its own right, let's be honest. And uh, those are my pick, anyway, for the goals of the tournament. After this short break, we will take a look at the contenders. From the shocking in Villarreal and perhaps even Arsenal to the less shocking Juventus into Milan and uh, Barcelona there. Welcome back. Much like last season in present day 2021-22, Villarreal were the surprise package of this entire tournament. They showed how obdurate they were in the group phase and this is talking... About 2005-06, so very little has changed for the Yellow Submarine. They only conceded just the one goal, which we mentioned on the other side of the break there. Prior to 2005-06, only Milan, Ajax and uh, Juventus twice had had conceded one goal in a group phase. Nobody, as of yet, has kept six clean sheets in a row. Maybe this is the year where that all changes. I very much doubt it with the way football has gone. And um, in this season, Villarreal were joined by both Chelsea and Liverpool in that respect. So it's taken roughly about 13 years for four teams to just concede one goal. And in one season, three teams had achieved that. And that essentially tells you all you need to know about the tactics of football around this time and how the, the most successful teams were playing their football. Villarreal only scored three goals as well, which is the lowest to have ever won the group, A group, unsurprisingly. They'd gone undefeated as well. He took a couple of nil-nil draws against uh, Manchester United in for good measure, as they would do a couple of years on as well. And um, bizarrely, though, when they get to the when they get to the knockout phase, unlike unlike last season in, in present day, Villarreal would concede quite a lot of goals as we go through the last 16 through the quarterfinals as well. They conceded as many in two matches versus Rangers as they did in the group, but they still go through undefeated and um, by the time they beat Inter Milan and shock them as well. They've won just three games of 10. I mean, five if you count the Everton wins, but qualifiers don't tend to count towards the golden boot, so we're not going to count them either either in this. But uh, so three wins, six draws and one loss. It just... uh, it shows Villarreal, that's probably their preferred style of play from 2005 to 2022. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. But the majority of the favourites in this tournament were of an Italian persuasion. Now, in the 2002-03 season, we had three Italian semi-finalists. 
Last season, in terms of 2004-05, we had Juventus bow out at the quarterfinals whilst obviously Milan went all the way. And um, Juventus and Inter were the Derby d'Italia teams. They were hoping to uh, join the club with Milan and be an Italian champion of the uh, of the European Cup in the 21st century. And they were both powered through by uh, some outstanding strikers of the time. Juventus were led by David Trezeguet. Inter Milan were led by Adriano. But just as in the prior years, both fell just slightly short. Juventus had their own troubles to come, of course, via relegation and Calciopoli. And this is probably one of the last times we'll... Uh, be discussing them this, uh, this this side of Christmas in term in regards to this podcast. Uh, they made tough work of uh, Werder Bremen only going through on away goals, and as we mentioned, Inter Milan were stunned by Villarreal in quarterfinals by the same rule. For both sides, really, it's a um, it's an underachievement going by form. It really ought to have been a Juventus Inter Milan semi final, but Juventus were unable to find the net against Arsenal at their home stadium or. In uh, at Highbury as well, so by the book deserved to uh, bow out at the quarter-final stage. Meanwhile, AC Milan had added some firepower up front. Christian Vieri, who uh, blink and you miss him at AC Milan, as far as I'm concerned. But Alberto Giladino was um, more of a mainstay at the San Siro there, at least in the uh, red and black. There, neither scored in the Champions League across 15 combined appearances. Though the main trident was Kaka, Inzaghi, and Andrei Shevchenko. Of course, Hernan Crespo had finished his loan. He was back over at Chelsea there, so that was the uh, the main three that was pretty much there for the uh, the majority of the previous season as well. And in terms of the goal scoring, those three scored all but two of their goals. In the uh, in the group stages, and Shevchenko top scored in the competition, and is probably the reason why Chelsea wanted to pay him the big bucks. And to be fair, he, around this time he was probably the greatest goal scorer alongside maybe Raúl, maybe chucking Rude van Nistelrooy in there as well. And thirty million pounds, euros, whatever it was, seemed like a decent amount of money for a player who was going to be one of the best strikers in the world. Unfortunately, it didn't quite work for him at Chelsea and he soon found his way back to Milan. And Milan in this season, they had a hard route to the um, to the latter stages. They had their semi-final opponents from the previous year, PSV, and uneasy trip to Gelsenkirchen in Istanbul in the form of Schalke and Fenerbahce. And then their, their knockout phase could have hardly been drawn against worse teams. Bayern Munich, Lyon, but let's not forget Lyon were a very good team, probably top 10 around this time in Europe. And of course, Barcelona, the latter of which they would eventually fall to. And they only had the one goal in that as well. Both semi-finals, we've got four matches there in total. There's just two goals. So again, another indicator of the way football had gone from the, the brilliant, reckless abandon of the 4-2-3-1 and Euro 2000 to the dour Greece, Porto, defensive football era. And uh, it would stick around for quite some time, but um, I have a feeling it'll be uh, coming back around to to more attacking football as we uh, end the 2000s soon enough on this this podcast. So in essence, really, with Ancelotti getting to the semi-final with his AC Milan team and... Of course, as we'll discuss next week in the 2006-07 episode of this when Milan won the trophy, Ancelotti was desperately close to a three-peat of his own, of course, by the time Real Madrid secured that in the 2010s. He was, of course, long gone as manager starting that uh, streak 
with the uh, the first with um, Real Madrid in 2014, of course. In terms of Arsenal, it ranks as quite a historic season, but if you look at it trophy-wise, it's the worst their worst season since 2000-2001, where they were last trophyless. It is a trophyless season for Arsenal, after all. But it is the one and only season to this day where they have participated in a Champions League final. Doesn't matter though because Arsenal won Ground Staff of the Year, so that's I mean I guess that's a trophy, isn't it? Fourth. As well, they finished fourth, only just, thanks to some uh, norovirus in the Tottenham Hotspur camp on the final day at Upton Park, but there we go. And uh, they did have a fairly young squad. You've got Freddie Lundberg, Robert Perez playing the final games for the club. Patrick Vieira, by this point, had just long gone. Dennis Bergkamp was playing his final games for the club as well, and the likes of Sol Campbell, Jens Lehmann, Thierry Henry were all on the back nine. They'd all leave within 12 months, and it took Arsenal a Another eight years after, another seven years after this to to win anything as well. So uh, Arsenal were really caught in a bit of a bind. They were they'd not really started their transition, but I've I've I would say that the quarter final between Juventus did show that uh, the loss of Patrick Vieira might not be as as terminal to their glut of trophies that they had won in the earlier part of the decade because. Cesc Fabregas absolutely schooled his old mentor in Patrick Vieira in the quarterfinals and we can't go any further in this episode without discussing how good defensively Arsenal were. They may have conceded against um, Ajax and FC Tun in the first two games of the Champions League but it took them until the final then to concede another goal and then through that you're playing Ajax again, you're playing Sparta Prague, you're playing a, a incredibly good Real Madrid team who is shocking really to get so far into a Champions League based podcast and we've not even mentioned Real Madrid and that's not an oversight on my part it's just because they were one of the pretenders they were fully in their last 16 knockout phase exit that was their that was their point in history and that we would be in that point for the next four five six years almost at this stage and Arsenal it was obviously a, a, a tie where it was one goal across two legs as was often the case for this Arsenal team across these three knockout stage matches where they conceded a grand total of zero goals which I'm not entirely sure has happened before it certainly hadn't happened before it, it probably hasn't happened since but to concede zero goals in six games regardless of the um the tactics of football at the time is just a remarkable, a remarkable um, achievement. And it's for a team in Arsenal where, no disrespect, they were hardly among the elites around this time. For me, the elite, the elite around this time are Juventus, it's Milan, it's Barcelona, it's Liverpool, Chelsea, Manchester United. Arsenal, in terms of Europe, they never did this. The, the grand performances like what... Liverpool put in the prior season at, away at um, Juventus in the quarterfinal to draw nil nil there. That was the that was the landmark that they needed to then have the belief to go on to win the the Champions League. For Arsenal, that was very much the uh, the similar landmark. And um, after beating Real Madrid, courtesy of a an absolutely magnificent Thierry Henry goal, we've got to admit um, the the game against Juventus with a with a two nil win at Highbury and then. Nil-nil in Turin was really the the marker that Arsenal put down to say that they could actually win this thing. 
And um, fourth place in the Premier League, only just salvaged on the final day. It may have something to do with the fact that Arsenal were going incredibly close. The fact that they were they were drawn the kinder of the three potential semi-final opponents in the shape of uh, Villarreal as well. They didn't didn't stop them here, and Colatore was bagging the uh, bagging the winning goal in the first leg. And of course, they owe a ton of debt to Juan Roman Riquelme for unfortunately on. Villarreal's perspective, missing the penalty late on in the second leg, which would have surely taken the game to extra time and perhaps with momentum have put Villarreal into the final, into an all-Spanish final with Barcelona, of course. Now, Barcelona, their progression under Frank Rijkaard, or perhaps more pertinently, their progression under the likes of Ronaldinho, Deco, Xavi, Puyol, and now Messi as well, it was clear to see in the last 16 win from the prior year when you felt they probably should have got through, but it was Mourinho sort of edging them through in the end from a Chelsea Chelsea perspective to this season where Chelsea didn't have enough to beat them. And um, the win over Chelsea as opposed to a loss was a clear benchmark for how well Barcelona had uh, had progressed. They'd battered the group phase. Admittedly, it was a quite a simple one. But they were irresistible, as I mentioned. Samuel Eto'o's curling goal against Panathinaikos, one of the great goals of this season for me. They wouldn't concede against Benfica or Milan. So even the great, even the great attacking teams of this time, Barcelona, which we uh, associate with this with this team and its football, they could they could play some really good defensive football as well. Should have really added there to the list of players, Rafa Marquez, who was uh, alongside Carlos Puyol in terms of a defensive partnership. There's very few in Europe around this time, if any, that were uh, as solid as... You you wouldn't want to try and get around them. The English equivalent around this time probably would have been Carvalho and Terry, the only thing that really come close. Now, of course, Arsenal, they maintain their defensive record with Sol Campbell out for a while and um, they will both return Sol Campbell, Colo Torre in time for the final which would be in the Stade de France and Sol Campbell would have a headed goal, the only goal that Arsenal have scored in a Champions League final to this date. But that was coming off the back of Jens Lehmann's red card and um, quite a, well by the letter of the law it's a red card the referee probably could have let play go on and let Barcelona go 1-0 up, but what would have been more preferable for Arsenal, I think, is still going down to to 10 men, trying to nick a goal on the uh, counter or from a set piece, which they did through Campbell, of course, and hopefully have faith in their defensive record, which had held out since match day two. So we're talking here May. They hadn't conceded in Europe since September which um, is uh, phenomenal, really. Uh, unfortunately, a, a casualty of that Jens Lehmann red card is the fact that Robert Perez was subbed off and that, to uh, him, was the uh, the nail in the coffin, the final nail in the coffin on his Arsenal career and he was playing his last game there in the Champions League final. Also, Ashley Cole was also playing his last game for Arsenal, like Sir Freddie Lundberg and Thierry Henry, and all those names as well um, would leave within. 12 months and Thierry Henry, his golden opportunity on the counter was not too dissimilar really to when Alessandro Del Piero had a chance to put France away in Euro 2000's final on the counter but missed. Here Thierry Henry missed a quite similar opportunity, Victor Valdez saving and there we have 
their golden chance to win the game at Barcelona, of course. Go up the other end of the pitch with the help of substitute Henrik Larsson, who provides not just one but two assists for Juliano Belletti and Samuel Eto. And Barcelona are two-time champions of Europe, just as France were made two-time champions of Europe after the failure to score off Del Piero via Sylvain Wiltot and David Trezeguet. There's quite um, some correlation between the two, I believe, in that one. That is all we've got time for today. Will Barcelona be able to retain their crown in the final days of Frank Rijkaard at the camp now? Well, we'll find out next week when we discuss the 2006-07 season of the Champions League in another episode of Le Grandeza Keeps here on the What If Football Podcast. Thank you very much for listening and if you support the channel, thank you very, very much. Until then, see Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.